All right, if you've got a Bible or an electronic device, um, I would like you to open up to Psalm 16. And we're going to look at verse 11. Now, I'd, I don't know how many times I would have read this psalm, uh, but I don't ever recall reading this particular verse. And I was listening to um, John Piper uh, listening to one of his sermons that he was giving, and he spoke from this verse. Now, I'm not going to speak the same thing that he spoke. In fact, it's quite different to what he spoke about. But what struck me is the actual composition of this one particular verse and how immensely full of truth it is. So I want to read out this verse, and then I'm going to delve a bit deeper um, into it. And the verse is this, Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Three short phrases. And I'm not going to get past pretty, not really going to get past the first phrase today. Let me read that again. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. We've been going through a bit of a series of Joshua and speaking about Joshua going into the promised land, bringing the people of Israel into what God had promised them. And as I read this, that phrase, that, that first part here, it says, you make known to me the path of life. And all of a sudden, I just saw the picture of the path that the Israelites took from Egypt to Canaan. And it made me question if, if the path that they took was just to get to the promised land, if the path was just to get to that promise, why did it take them so long? And I was struck by the, you make known to me the path of life. And I was thinking about that, that it's not the journey that they were traveling that mattered. But who they were with on that path. And there is a path that leads to life that God makes known to us. And it also means there is a path that doesn't lead to life. And if we want to be able to follow the path that leads to life, then we need to know God. Because it is God who makes known this path. So I want to come back to the start of this path that the Israelites journeyed on. So I want to turn to 
Exodus 6. And we'll start from verse 6. No, we'll start from verse 2, actually. The context of this verse is that Moses has gone to Pharaoh. He's told Pharaoh, let my people go. And the response Pharaoh has is this. Take the straw away from the Israelites Make them work harder. They obviously have plenty of time on their hands to listen to this man, Moses. And Moses is there in despair because the people have no hope of a future. Their only hope is that they can survive and make do with where they're at. And here's a man saying, I have a hope for a great future for you. And the people say, why have you come? Because you've made it harder for us. And Moses cries out to God, Why have you sent me, God, to this people? Why have you sent me? Because it's only harder now, and they cannot see any other way. This is the start of the path that leads to life. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. The start of the journey is to remember a promise. The start of the journey is to remind the people that God has made a promise to them. And in this moment, God is saying that he has heard the afflictions of his people and he is coming now to them and saying, I have remembered the covenant that I gave to your forefathers and it is now that I am going to lead you into that. So if God is remembering the covenant, then we need to go back a bit further And read the covenant that he made. So we go back a bit further. We go into Genesis 17. seventeen one to 8. And this is God speaking to Abram. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So we have the start of this path as the Israelites are in captivity in Egypt. And the start is God reminding them of a covenant he made 400 years before to Abraham. And in that reminding of the covenant, God is saying, now is that time for the covenant to be fulfilled, and I am now going to take you on a journey that is going to lead you into the fulfillment of that promise and covenant. And so God takes the Israelites and he leads them on a path that is not the normal path, that is quite an unusual path, because the very first thing that happens to them as soon as they get out of Egypt, the very first thing they do is they're hemmed in by mountains and a sea. The path they led to was a dead end. The path that led them out of Egypt was completely surrounded by mountains either side, an advancing Egyptian army and the sea. But this was the start of the path that was going to lead them into the promises. And the story goes on and God leads them through the Red Sea and they come into the wilderness and they're in the wilderness. And God comes down on the mountain and he declares this great truth to them. And he gives them this most amazing set of commandments. We call them the Ten Commandments, but when you read them, it's far more like a father's tender heart to his people, to his children, saying, I give you these commandments to keep you safe. It's a tender heart of a father to a whole nation. And in that very moment, we have one of the most interesting debates in Scripture between Moses and God. God has just given the Ten Commandments to Moses. And even in the process of those Ten Commandments being given to Moses, the people turn away from God. And they throw up for themselves a golden calf. And then we have this amazing debate almost between Moses and God about whose people this is now. So God's 
started the journey saying, I'm going to fulfill what I promised to your father and to you for bringing you into the promises. And this is the people of God. And then as God gives a very tender heart that he has for them, they reject the very God that speaks to them. And Moses and God have this debate of whose people is this? And God says to Moses in 32.7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go down to your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Here's this debate where God has just said, I am taking you out of the land of Egypt as my people. And then they get to that point where they reject very tenderness of God. And God says, Moses, they're your people. Your people. And then in verse 11, Moses goes back to God and he says, Moses implored the Lord, he's God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And here's this debate going on about whose people is this. Here's God saying, Moses, are your people. You brought them out. And then Moses saying to God, no, they're your people. You brought them out. And it doesn't stop there. Because later on, we have the very next chapter. In verse 31, uh, 33.1, the Lord says to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. And here's where it changes. And God says this, I will send my angel to go with you. And God says in verse 33, uh, in verse 3, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Go up to the promised land. Go up there. But I will not go up any I will not go up among you. I will not go up among you. And this dialogue between Moses and God is such a fascinating one for me. Because here we have it almost as if God's saying, They're not my people. I don't want anything to do with them. And it almost feels as if Moses is trying to argue God back around to seeing that they are his people. But I want to show you that this was never the case, that God was not trying to get Moses to argue him around, but was trying to get Moses to see the truth that was there all along. And this is what Moses grasps in the end. And this is one of the most amazing passages of Scripture for me. In Exodus 33, 13, Moses says to God, If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways 
that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that the nation, this nation, is your people. And God responded and said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. The change here is not God changing, but God finally getting Moses to see this truth. The truth is this. Show me now your ways that I may know you. As soon as Moses speaks about the knowing of God and the knowing his ways, God says, you've got it now, Moses. You've got the very essence of the promise I gave. Now I will go with you. Before that, the argument between Moses saying, no, they're your people, they're your people. God's saying, no, I want you to understand that it is knowing me that determines where the path will lead you. And as soon as Moses grasped this truth, that the path leads to the presence of God, God says, they are my people. They are my people. And Moses says, Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And this amazing, most amazing part of the story opens up then when Moses says, show me your glory. After getting to that place of not trying to argue whose people they are, but realizing that it is knowing God, and he so gets it at that point that he says, show me your glory. And God goes, you've got it, Moses. I will show you my glory. The rest of the story is about this very transaction that has happened between God and Moses being brought to the heart of every individual in Israel. The rest of the story, it is all about that. The reason they don't enter the promised land is because they did not get that. And God said, again you shall go in the wilderness until you get this. The phrase, I am the Lord your God, occurs over 60 times in all of Scripture. And over half of those occur in this story between Egypt and Canaan. Over half of the time that God says, I am the Lord your God, occurs between Egypt and Canaan in all of Scripture. The answers God is trying to say is, I am your God. And he uses words like this over 30 times, treasured possession. Their God, my people, be their God in these four um, books alone. 
And then the amazing thing is this. In Deuteronomy, which is the book that is recounting the story as they ride on the border, ready to go into the promised land. They see the Jordan. They're about to cross over. In Deuteronomy alone, over 200 times, the phrase, your God. Moses saying to the people, your God. Over 200 times in one book, Moses is emphasizing to the people of God, this is your God. The path that leads to life. For the Israelites, the path that leads to the promise that they had from God was that path that started in Egypt and is leading them to Canaan. And as they're on the promised land, they get this other amazing thing that Moses says to them. In fact, God says to them, it says this, Seek the place, in Deuteronomy 5, it says, Seek the place, let me turn to it, Deuteronomy 12.5. God says this to his people, When you go into the land, you shall seek the place that the Lord your God will choose out of all your tribes to put his name and make his habitation there. There you shall go and there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices. Down in verse 7 he says, Do not, uh, sorry, I put the wrong reference down. Later on he says, I could read the whole thing out, I won't read the whole thing out, I'll spare you the, that. It says, later on it says, do not let your eyes see any other place except for that one place that God has called his habitation. So here we have, before they even enter, God saying, I'm going to choose a place, and that is the place you go to offer your sacrifices. And do not let your eyes wander to another place that you choose, but only the place of habitation that I have chosen. And this is a pivotal verse as well, because not only is now we've got this path to the promise, it's not just about God leading them into knowing that he is God and that they are his people, but it's now actually leading them to say that actually there's a place where he is going to inhabit and that they may now come into his presence. So we have this path is not to the promise, but the path is to the presence of God. So the path that comes to life is not about coming out of slavery into a place to live and to have houses and grapes and, and, and flourish, but it's a place that they come so that they may come into the habitation and the presence of God. This is what it's saying in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life, not the path to live, but the path to life. 
That's not a path that leads you in a place where you can have comfort and that you can have friends and you can have family and you can have all that you need. That's not the path he's leading you to. He's not leading you to a place where you can live. He's leading you, leading you to a place that is life. The promise was never about the land. But God wanted a people who would call him their God and he would call them his people. That promise back in 17, Genesis 17.1. If you read that again, it sometimes comes across that the, the promise is about the land. But when you read that back again in the, in the light that actually God wants a people to call himself... All of a sudden, you don't hear the land so much. This is God saying, Behold, I make a covenant with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between you and between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. And here's the covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. The covenant is to be a God to a people. And the add-on is, I will give you a land. The add-on is, I will give you a land. The covenant, the promise is that he would have a people and that they would be and that he would be their God. That was the covenant. The land was just an add-on. It was a perk. It was a a side product of the main promise. A people to call his own. But it's more than just a people to call his own. As Deuteronomy was pointing out to in Leviticus 12, 11, uh, 26, 11, sorry. Leviticus 26, 11. It has this wonderful verse. And it says this. Let me just go a little bit further back from verse 9. This is God saying to, to them, as they come into their promise, into the land that he has promised them, he says, I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. So they're already in the land. They've already entered. And God is now saying, I will confirm my covenant with you. It can't be about the land because that would already be confirmed because I'd already be in it. So this must be about confirming something else. I will confirm my covenant with you. And here's the covenant he's making. It is even greater than just a people calling him their God. It's this. I will make my dwelling among you. And I will walk among you. 
and will be your God and you shall be my people. See, it's not just about a people calling him God or him calling them people. He's saying, I am going to actually dwell among you. And not only that, it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Right back from the start when Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening, he's saying, once again, I'm going to dwell among you and walk with you. See, it's even greater than just the promise of being with them. He's saying that I am going to live and dwell and walk and lead you. The covenant is about the dwelling place of God. See, the path was not just to a promised land. It was not just to a people that would call him God. It was to the presence of God. The path was to the holy of holies. It was always the case that God would take a people out of captivity. He would lead them till they understood that it is about knowing him. The path to life is a path to holiness and the holy of holies. And we see this confirmed when we come out of this now into the New Testament, when we have John the Baptist speaking. What does John the Baptist cry out? Like one in the wilderness crying out, prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Where's the path straight to? Because this is a vital question. If the path that leads to life, this path that God has taken us along, if it's not just to a promise for us to be in a in, in a land or to live or to have comfort, if the promise is to the presence, and now when the New Testament comes and John the Baptist speaks out, like crying in one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way, make the path straight, straight where? We start in Egypt. The path that leads to life is this. Before the people even knew God, he came to them. He came in their captivity and called them my people before they even knew him. And then God takes them and he breaks them out of captivity. And he leads them out of Egypt. And they come to the Red Sea and he and leads them through. And they come through the promised land. Uh, They come through the wilderness to the promised land. And they get it at last that this is our God and we are his people. And he tears away the river Jordan and leads them in. And then we come to the New Testament and the prophet John is saying, make straight his paths. And the path leads straight to a hill upon which our Savior dies. And as he dies, he tears apart the curtain to the holies of holies. The path of life leads from captivity straight into the holies of holies. That is where life is. 
And yet there is this sense that it was not even us walking into the holies of holies, but God leveling every mountain and filling in every valley so that there was only one way for you to see. And in the center of all that was his habitation, which he called his holy place. And it's him now saying, there is nothing that separates us anymore, and I am coming to you to dwell. And we have this amazing John, the, um, the Apostle John saying that God the Father is going to make his dwelling place in you and his Son is going to dwell in you and the Holy Spirit is going to dwell in you. And now the habitation of the Lord that he has chosen for us to be in is now right here in us. The path that leads to life is one that comes from captivity and it breaks through every obstacle and it leads us into the habitation of God. What path are you on? Where does your path lead? The last bit I want to touch on is this, which I think is important. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. Here's the bit that I want you to take. In your presence, in your presence, is a fullness of joy. If you lack joy, what path have you been on? Because the path that God makes known to us leads to life. And that life is the presence of God. And that presence of God is not, listen to this, it's fullness of joy. It's not some joy. It's not part joy. It's not broken joy. It's fullness of joy. It's fullness of joy. When I was preparing this the other day and and I was like, God, I've got nothing. What have I got to offer? In that moment, my place was not to try and bring something but my place was to get into the presence of God. And so I started worshipping God. And out of the presence of God comes His truth, comes His joy. And no longer did I care whether I had something to bring today, but now I was saying, I'm in the presence of God. I don't care about anything else but to be in your presence because right now is the fullness of my joy. There is a path that leads to life. The path that God took for the Israelites from Egypt to Canaan was not a path to the promised land. It was a path to the presence. It was a path to the holies of holies. It was a path to the habitation of of God, the dwelling place that he may walk with them and that they may not just say that he's their God, but know 
that he is their God. The path to the promises of God is not just about the promises that God has given to you, but it's the ultimate promise, the ultimate promise of God in you and you in God. If you have ever been given a promise, it is always for that cause. The promise, the covenant, whatever you want to say that God has given you, it is always for that one truth that you would know the ultimate promise, which is God in you and you in God. If you do not know the presence of God, you need to go back and say, God, make known to me the path that leads to life. And there you will find the presence of God that leads to the fullness of joy. I am never more full of joy than when I'm in the presence of God. Never. No matter how amazing you people are, it does not come to the same level as being in the presence of God. And I could be in the presence of God by myself and know the fullness of his joy. But it is even more amazing to be in the presence of God with his people to then actually have multiplied almost the joy of God. We long for the presence of God. What path are you on? Does it lead to life? And are you seeing and feeling and being in the presence of God that leads to the fullness of joy? Let me pray, and then we'll finish. God, we thank you that you lead us out of captivity and not just into a good place, not just into a life that is less damaged or less broken than before, but you lead us into your presence. You lead us into your dwelling place that you may walk with us and that you may dwell among us. And I pray that this day, Lord Jesus, we would realign what we know as a path that leads to life and we would choose to walk your path and not our own. That we would cut away anything that hinders us from walking along your path that leads to life so that we may come into the very presence of your joy and have the fullness of it. And so I pray for your people here today. I pray for them that they would know your way and know that path that leads to life. And then after that, I pray with all my heart that your presence may fall so much on this people that they will be laughing with joy, that they will be so full that they'll be like, I can't ever express joy in any other way than being in your presence. And as we go forth from here, as we dwell in this world and as we are journeying along we pray walk with us and may our fellowship be one where we encourage one another into the presence of God at every opportunity in Jesus name Amen